to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Well, just to prove that my sermon illustrations are not always about my family, the chiefs, or politics, I'm curious how many of you until yesterday were tracking men's soccer in the FIFA World Cup. A couple of you have been watching those games. I uh, sat down to watch a replay of USA-Iran until I fell asleep. Um, I tried again and fell asleep again. It, It just wasn't meant to be. However, I learned months ago that the wife of a certain Kansas City quarterback is a partial owner of the Kansas City Current team that plays in the National Women's Soccer League. National Women's Soccer League. And they recently broke ground for a brand new professional soccer facility facility that is the first that is exclusively for a woman's team. As I tried to learn something about the team, I found this picture of half of the team. I couldn't get the whole team into one shot. Um, and, And I know it's too small for most of you to notice, But in teal letters, underneath each of the players' names, you can see that all of the players, except for one, specified that she was a her. Now, I thought playing for the National Women's Soccer League uh, would make that apparent, that those are she's and hers. But I guess my assumption is... 2020 thinking instead of, and it's outdated today. I wonder how many of us have seen a name tag, a social media profile, or heard someone introduce themselves with, my pronouns are, well, call me old-fashioned, but I'm convinced when you play for a team or work for an employer, it's your team or your employer that should be the focus rather than the individual and my pronouns. Now, what does this 
have to do with Advent, you would ask? In the words of Romans chapter 1, or Romans chapter 12, verse 3, we are instructed, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Our text today tells us that your pronouns may not be as important as you think they are. Our text is a song that may have been spoken or may have been sung. We don't have the music from the Magnificat. But it's the song of a young woman who was so overwhelmed by God that she didn't think too highly of herself. She exalted in the Lord. Mary's awareness of God's attributes kept her from any hint of self-absorption. As her words overflow in praise to the goodness of the God who had blessed her. As her words overflow, the first thing that I see is that God was full of mercy. And God's mercy to her incited within her personal praise. See, Mary has been pondering Gabriel's words for a few days. You look back in verse 39 of chapter 1, you see that she packed up and she prepared herself to go visit her cousin. And after she gets to her cousin, her cousin greets her, the baby within her cousin's womb leaps, and then we have the Magnificat that flows off the mouth of Mary after she's been pondering for a few days, what does this actually mean? These words are not some knee-jerk reaction to Gabriel's announcement. Her thoughts have ruminated all the time that she was preparing and the time that she was traveling to see Elizabeth. The more that she thought about what was going to happen, the smaller she became and the larger God's plan became. Because she had a surprise encounter with God's will. People respond very, very differently when they encounter the hand of God. Some people, when we encounter some act at the hand of God, begin to bargain ourselves out of a difficult situation, as if God is just a little bit above being equal to us. We bargain, God, if you will only ABC, then I will XYZ. And we think of God as a God to be bargained with, as if he is not much higher than we are. Some people respond to a surprise encounter of God's will when they simply conclude, um, uh, man, I'm so angry at God. Because this is not what I had planned for my life. Some bargain. Some anger. 
Some respond by running away. If that's what it means to be a Christian, I want to have nothing to do with it. If that's the God that you preach, I want to have nothing to do with it. Our bargaining or our anger or running are frequent responses to an image of a God who is not the God of the Bible. If your first inclination is to bargain with God, he's not the God of the Bible. If your first inclination is to become angry at him, he's not the God of the Bible. If your first inclination is to run away from him because he doesn't care about me, that's not the God of the Bible. The God who communicates through an angel with Mary is a merciful God. Consider these comments by Dane Ortland that describe Exodus chapter 34. You can note down Exodus 34 beginning in verse 6. We studied this in Sunday school in a book where God says he is merciful and gracious. He's not angry. He's not trying to trip us up. At his very essence, God is merciful, merciful and gracious. These are the first words out of God's own mouth after proclaiming his name. The Lord, I am merciful and gracious. The only two words Jesus will use to describe his own heart are gentle and lowly. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. The first two words that God uses to describe who he is are merciful and gracious. And it is a merciful God that Mary encounters. And because she sees him as merciful, it prompts within her personal praise of his greatness. Because God is so full of mercy, his interactions with us then become very personal. Because God is mindful of us, he becomes personally involved with us. Verses 49 through 50 of the Magnificat. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What I see is that what God does in verse 49 shapes her description back in verse 47. How did she describe God in verse 47? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Later on in the song, she'll talk about what God does throughout the world and what he does throughout the ages for her people, the Israelites. But here is a testament of a personal conviction. Because she saw the merciful hand of God, she says, He is my God. This is a time of the year that we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. But I wonder if the Lord has become your Savior. As Mary says, blessed is God, my Savior. 
Mary sings of God as her Savior because she realizes that God had taken notice of her. And my friend, God takes notice of you as well. After Jesus spoke about how the Father cares for the plants of the field and how God cares for the birds of the air, Jesus concluded with these words, why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. See, Mary is overwhelmed with praise because she realized God is her God because he had taken notice of her personally. And even when we see God as merciful and we see God as personally mindful of us, it is essential that we never try to tame him. Because God is also a God of might. And so God's mercy and God's mindfulness allow him to put his might into practice in what concerns you. And because God demonstrated his might to make things right for Mary, she surrenders to him as her God. Mary surrenders because she realizes God is about to introduce an upside-down kingdom. What used to be considered great is brought down, and what used to be considered um, cringeworthy is about to become great. We read that those who are proud, those who are mighty, those who are rich are brought down. While those who are humble, those who are hungry, are the ones that are about to be brought up. When we consider that we are on top of our game, he brings us down and humbles us. And when we realize our brokenness, when we realize our need for him, then he makes things right. Because God is a God who humbles the proud and the mighty while richly meeting the needs of those who are humble and hungry. That's why I love so much our time of prayer with and for each other. Because in that time, each week, we are saying to God, we depend upon you, we need you, we rely upon you, we are trusting in you to do what we cannot do ourselves. Because Mary found that God was introducing an upside-down kingdom. Because God chose what is foolish in the world to shame that which was considered wise. And God chose what is weak in our world to shame the strong. So I say to you, my friend, if you are feeling discouraged, if you are feeling neglected, if you are feeling overlooked, just remember, God ministers to the brokenhearted and exalts them and brings down those who are self-sufficient. 
Jesus said it himself in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we think we have the world by the tail, not much happens. But when we are poor in spirit, when we acknowledge our brokenness, when we acknowledge our weakness, then the power of God becomes evident in our lives and we see the kingdom introduced to us. I notice here in these verses, though, that Mary is not speaking about what's yet to come. Mary is speaking uh, of things as if they had already happened. For notice with me, beginning in verse 51, he has shown strength. He has scattered. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry and the rich. He has sent away. Going on into verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel. In the language that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, when he took the Aramaic language that Mary would have spoken and he wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's a a certain feature of that language that says things that happened in the past can happen one of two ways. Either if we look in the past, we can look at something that was a process that happened in the past. For example, I, I would use in English, swimming. I was swimming is that idea of the process. But there's another verb form that he can use that simply says, I swam. It's done. It, it's, it's not talking about the process of swimming. It's something, it's something that he did. And this, it's something that he did is the verb form that Luke uses here to describe the words that are coming out of Mary's mouth. God has already completed this. It's not that I'm waiting for it to happen, but I notice that there's a prophecy, and the way that Mary is speaking about these events, she is saying, when God impregnated her, the deeds... Showing strength, scattering the proud, bringing down the mighty, exalting the humble, filling the hungry, sending away the rich as desolate. Those things are as good as done. She was so confident in the promise that she was able to speak of things that were yet to happen as if they were already complete. She was so confident in the the Lord that while she's looking to what's going to happen as a result of the child that she is carrying, she still says "It's it's a done deal. God's already finished this, is the way that she speaks with confidence. When When I think of a dictator, I tend to think in negative terms. But what if the person who is making the edicts, what if the dictator is not selfish, but merciful? This is what we may describe as a benevolent dictator. 
on the rare occasions in our life where we may encounter the boss who is kind, the benevolent dictator, we may be awestruck by his majesty. Because God's majesty is what incites obedience. The God that Mary encounters was merciful. She was mindful of him. He had the might to make things happen. And because of all that, he was a good, majestic God. A benevolent dictator. He was the one who we admire and we desire to obey, not the one that we run away from. Because God's mercy causes him to help us. We saw in our Genesis series earlier this year that God created humanity to share in His image and to share in His work of ruling. And if God wants us to rule as His representative because we are a reflection of Him, it is in His nature then to help us to reveal His image in a worthwhile way. Do you recall the last line of the third verse of a little town of Bethlehem? Probably not until I say it for you. Where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Mary had a meekness where she saw God as good, God as great, God as mighty, God as mindful, God as majestic. And because she saw God in all of these positive terms, she simply said, I surrender. I submit myself to this kind of God. This is the kind of boss that I want to follow. In some ways, it seems like yesterday, and in other ways, it seems like forever ago since we heard, hands up, don't shoot. And hands up, don't shoot was simply a testimony that was saying, I surrender. You've got no problems with me. I'm not going to resist you. You're in charge. And that's why some of those who sit around you when we sing songs of praise, they feel like they want to raise their hands. It's a sign of surrender. It's not a sign of being a charismatic kook. It simply says, God's in charge and I surrender to His plan. Hands up. You've got no problems with me. And Mary surrenders in the same way. See, when when we don't get in the way of it, the mercy of God prompts him to help his people. And his helping of his people incites us to want to obey his directives. See, when I look at Mary, I see a woman who was poor, young, female, Easily overlooked in their society. Not deserving of anything great. And when we view ourselves as weak, broken, and disregarded, 
we may become bitter against power and those who possess it. But when we view the one with the power as merciful to our needs, as mindful of our condition, and as mighty to act on our behalf, this type of majesty is that to which we want to bow down and surrender. I want to have a piece of that kind of a God. Not a God who's angry, Not a God who is vengeful, but a God who is full of mercy, takes mind of me, has the might to accomplish his will. That's a God who is is majestic and to which I want to bow down. And when I talk about bowing down to a God who is majestic, some of you are thinking about preacher. You don't know what I've done. I can't bow down to his majesty. While he's been merciful to others, he'd never be merciful to me. You don't know what I've done. And you are right. I don't know what you have done. And you don't know what I have done. But each person in this room watching this video or listening to this podcast, has done something that means we are undeserving of God's forgiveness and grace, yet He remains merciful and mindful and mighty and majestic. Mary did not deserve God's blessing. Just because she had never been with a man does not mean that she had never done anything wrong. Yet she took the angel at his word when given the announcement. And in today's song, she doesn't praise the angel. She glorifies and exalts the Lord who wishes to redeem, to restore, and to bless anyone within the sound of my voice. When we humbly submit to God's grace in our lives, it changes us. When we obey that majestic God, it changes us. When we humbly participate with God's plan for our lives, others get to encounter that same mercy, mindfulness, might, and majesty of a God who loves them. My final story is a little bit long, but when I get to the end, you'll appreciate that I told it. Outside the city of Cairo, Egypt, on the edge of a high limestone hill is a large slum where many thousands of garbage collectors live. It's an indescribably filthy area with pigs walking all around and the smell is almost unbearable in that desert heat. Years ago, Father Saman Ibrahim, a Coptic Orthodox priest, moved into this God-forsaken place to serve those people. Paul Gordon Chandler continues by writing, I'm reminded of a worshiper I met, a young garbage collector's son named Yusef. A number of years ago, at a Cairo construction site, an American executive lost his gold Rolex watch. This one's not a Rolex, it's just a... A Timex, but the rich American lost his watch. 
And not long after, the young Yusef, who was at that time an apprentice to his father, just learning how to collect garbage and to sort that which may have some worth, he found that gold watch. Because he was a follower of Jesus Christ, Yusef felt led to find the watch's owner and to return the watch. Now, this was obviously a difficult decision because that Rolex watch was worth more money than Yusef would ever earn during his entire lifetime. More than $20,000 on the Cairo black market. It took several months of looking and asking questions for Yusef to discover the true owner of that Rolex watch. And he learned that the owner was staying in a luxury apartment built building in Cairo. Well, as a poor garbage collector wearing very dirty clothes, he would never be let into this apartment deluxe through the lobby. He would have looked completely out of place. So Yosef figured out a way to get in through a back exit door that was used for garbage removal. And he climbed the stairs to the floor where the American executive was staying, and he knocked on the door. The American answered the door and somewhat astonished to see someone dressed as shabbily as Yusef was. You lost something? Yusef nervously blotted out in his minimal English. Several months had passed since the man had lost his watch, so it did not come to his mind right away. Did you lose your watch? Yusef asked. And he took the watch out of a pocket of his dirty robe. And when he saw the watch, the stunned American then invited Yusef into his apartment. And when they were sitting down, he asked, tell me, Yusef, why didn't you keep the watch for yourself? And Yusef replied, Christ taught in the Gospels to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But why didn't you just take it and sell it? The American persisted. Yusef says, it's not mine. It's not my right. I must be honest. It's not my watch. And Christ said not to steal. The American then asked him, Are you a Christian? Yes, Yusef replied. And miraculously, that American who described himself as an agnostic, at that moment, renewed his faith in God because of this example of the revolutionary teaching of Christ being followed by that garbage collector's son. The rich executive then wrote in his journal, I came back to God because of a poor Egyptian Christian garbage collector in Cairo. And Yusef surrendered To a God who was merciful, a God who was mighty, a God who was mindful of him, a God who was majestic. And because Yusef surrendered to this majestic God, this executive returned to Christ. 
And just as that uh, businessman received a surprise blessing from this young garbage man, I believe God desires to surprise you with His grace as described by an equally improbable witness. She was but a poor child herself from an implausible place, from an ordinary past. But Mary, in singing these powerful revolutionary words, is saying she trusts her Savior and she will follow His new way, which is a complete reversal of the values of the world as she knew it. And while the Magnificat is lovely, it is extraordinarily powerful because it speaks of total trust in God. This song tells us that if we believe and receive from the hand of God, our future will be realigned. We will not receive what we deserve, but be exalted and lifted up to His presence. I'd like to end the service this morning a little bit different than what we normally do. Our response song will be a little longer so that each of us can prayerfully consider what it might mean for us to humble ourselves and to receive, either for the first time or as a renewal, to receive the gift of God's grace and forgiveness. The altar will be open. We have prayer partners who have agreed to pray with you, as well as myself. As we all assume the posture of Mary's praise. Mary, who said, I believe in you. I humbly receive what you think is best. From here forth, I make you my Savior. The camera is about to switch away, so the video, so nobody is watching your response. And all those within this room are being asked to search their own hearts and to pay no attention to what God may be doing in your heart. I invite you to sing. I invite you to pray. I invite you to come as we humbly reflect that it's yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let us stand as the Holy Spirit.